Why should companies care about religious inclusion at work? And what can employees and business leaders do to create more inclusive environments in their workplaces? Welcome to the Interfaith Business Network podcast with your hosts, Brianne White and Angie Luol. In today's episode, we discuss how employees from three different tech companies promote inclusivity and belonging at their workplaces through Interfaith Employee Resource Groups. Today we have with us Farah Siddiqui, Jonathan Felter, and Marcy Sweetman. Can the three of you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us about your background, give us an introduction. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so my name is Farah Siddiqui. I am a hijab-wearing Muslim woman of Pakistani descent, born and raised in Miami, Florida. I now live in Chicago with a beautiful family, and I'm, be- I'm working in the tech industry for the past 15-ish years. So uh, Jonathan Felter, currently at Twitter um, in our advertising sales uh, department. I'm running our relationships with alcohol companies. My background is I'm uh, a Protestant. I was raised Lutheran, but um, kind of believe in the uh, broader religions. And I uh, have a background in sports marketing um, and have always kind of worked in the, the sports marketing media space. Uh, I'm married with uh, two beautiful little girls uh, in the northern suburbs of Chicago. Awesome. And Marcy, what about you? Sure. Thanks for having me. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area with my husband. I started with Equinix 21 years ago when there were less than 100 people, and we recently became a Fortune 500 company. And those who don't know Equinix, we're a global internet infrastructure company. So we connect internet providers, network providers, content providers, media companies. So for any movie you've streamed or picture um, you've posted online or sent, to a friend, all that information probably went through Equinix. And of course, Salesforce and Twitter uh, are two companies that we've worked with for many years. As, as far as religious beliefs goes, I'm a Scientologist. Uh, I've been for roughly 30 years. I found out about it when I was in college. I went to UC Santa Cruz. And I'm also a big history buff. And as anyone who knows history, there's an unfortunate number of conflicts that have their roots in religious intolerance, which always seemed like an oxymoron to me. And so I've always been drawn to interfaith, um, which probably is one of the things that drew me to Scientology because there's a strong interfaith component. Thank you so much, Farah, Jonathan, and Marcy. The reason we invited you all here together is because each of you have been involved with creating interfaith ERGs at your respective companies. Can you tell us why you decided to be involved with those efforts? why you saw a need for them at Salesforce, Twitter, or Equinix? I've personally always been fascinated with how my faith-based self or friends' faith-based selves always seemed very separate from who they were as an individual in social circles. And so I've always been kind of fascinated with um, why that is, essentially. So I wasn't directly involved with the founding of of the faith-based ERG, but um, joined about six months in when I rejoined Twitter and um, just found that it's definitely an important part of, of an employee's experience, right? For me, it was important to, as a, as a per- person of faith, to, to be able to help provide that resource for, for tweets. Equinix has a fairly new but robust diversity inclusion program. And um, it started with Pride Connect, Black Connect, Vet Connect. And I saw an opening for people to talk about their faith, non-faith, and worldviews. And things that are typically avoided in the workplace. 
And I thought that that would be, um, that's what really drove me to want to be the founder of Faith Connect is to have a place where people can talk about what they believe. And by having an ERG, you get that umbrella of, of openness and safety that you might not have without. And that really interested me. Uh, anything that has to do with interface has always interested me. In fact, we even raise our kids in an interface way. Um, they both went to a Muslim uh, daycare, and then there was a Christian preschool and a Jewish pre-K. And our goal was that they would always have that personal connection. And so I suppose, in a way, founding Faith Connected Equinix was a, an extension of that, of just knowing that when, when people have a personal connection to someone with a belief different than their own, it leads to greater understanding and respect. My story is a little bit different. So like I mentioned, I've been in the tech space for almost 15 years. Um, and in that space, in my time, in, in these spaces, I've been in only, I've been in other, and it hasn't been because of my gender. It hasn't been because of even my cultural background. There's been other Indians and Pakistanis where I work. Um, it's always been because of my faith identity, because of the hijab on my head. And because of that, and because people don't talk about it or acknowledge it in the workspace because you don't talk about religion, you don't talk about politics, right? Um, people didn't know what to say, what not to say to me. I didn't know what I was allowed to say. And I ended up hiding a lot of things from people. If I had to pray, I would go try to find a little corner somewhere where no one would see me. And if they would see me, I would pretend like I was just looking for a pencil or tying my shoe on the ground, you know, and then start all over with my prayer. Um, so those are real things. And it's not something that just it's unique to me. I have so many friends uh, who deal with the same thing. I have Jewish friends who deal with it because of the food offerings and there's nothing to eat. I have Sikh friends who I know, you know, struggle with taking off their turban or keeping it on because of the way that people judge them. And my whole, you know, experience has been this wall between us because you don't know what this head covering on my head means and all of the stuff in the news that makes people like me look like the bad guy. So what are we doing? Um, if we're not talking about it, we're not going to get past those walls. And when you talk about diversity and inclusion and equality and all this stuff, right? All that work is being done to break down walls and barriers between people so we understand each other better and we all feel included and like we belong somewhere in the workplace specifically. So, you know, at Salesforce, uh, there was this beautiful culture of allyship, of inclusion, of belonging. And it seemed like this is a place where something like this could possibly work. You know, so just kind of raised my hand and said, could we do an interfaith group? Could we talk about religion uh, in this space, in the context of not just you need to believe what I believe and I want to be able to share my faith with everyone. No, it was more on the context of inclusion. And can I be who I am safely? You don't need to believe in what I believe, but can you still respect it and honor it and give me that space to practice? And not just me, but all of my other colleagues of different religions. So when we put it in that context, we got the buy-in that we needed because this is equality, this is inclusion, just a different lens, a different identity. So yeah, it was very intentional to do interfaith to, do not, to not have the different faith-based groups. We did our research initially, and we saw what other companies were doing, um, which was great stuff, but it wasn't what I was envisioning, right? I didn't want a Muslim group. I didn't need to be around a bunch of Muslims because we already know each other, right? I needed that broader, expansive, how do I know you? How do you know me? I um, mean, that interfaith uh, form or, or you know strategy for it just really brought everyone together and gave everyone a seat who was feeling marginalized or unheard in the religion space, right? So just our voices collectively are so much louder and can really get stuff done. So uh, so that's the approach. And, you know, in the founding of it, it wasn't just me. It was a Christian colleague based in Sydney, Australia. It was agnostic gay colleague uh, with our equality team. 
and we came together to create this super inclusive group. Farah, right, that's a perfect segue to our next question. We've noticed that a lot of companies have affinity groups for specific religions, but they don't have an interfaith ERG. Do you have anything more to share or Jonathan and Marcy? Why did you think there was a need for more than just faith-based affinity groups at your companies? Yeah, I mean, I'll just continue on really briefly and then pass it along. So there's definitely a need for faith communities to feel connected to each other, right? I definitely think there's a space for it. So, you know, at Salesforce, we have affinity groups, which are just groups that get together and form. They're not like big business, you know, funded ERGs, but they're still communities that can exist. So we have a Christians at Salesforce, Muslims at Salesforce, the tribe. Um, and those are the spaces where you get together to have your Bible study, to have your, you know, community discussions and specific to your needs. And, and if just, a, you know, something happened in the news and it's really hurtful to the Muslim community, they want to get together and just feel safe and talk to each other. So do that. Right. But when it comes to inclusion and belonging and creating prayer spaces in the offices and creating kosher, or making sure, you know, there's inclusive events. And that's where Faith Force comes in, where it takes all of the voices and really has this kind of uh, power with our collective voice together to drive the same change. Right. You need food uh, inclusion. I need food inclusion. Food inclusion is not a word, uh, but you need food options. I need food options. You need safe spaces. I need safe spaces. And even though our needs are different, they're still very similar. Like I hear stories of like my sick colleagues and what they go through, and it's so similar to what I'm going through. So just both of us advocating for it together is so much more powerful. Twitter Faith, our BRG, is a little less than two years old, so we're still learning and growing and figuring out how, how we're going to be structured. But I think we started out as Interfaith because there were also other BRGs like Blackbirds or Twitter Open for our LGBTQ plus um, stripes for our you know veterans that all had. I would say intersectionality with just kind of faith in general, right? Um, and so I think we wanted to start from a place of, you know, inclusion and diversity that it sounds like both Equinix and, and Salesforce have, have strong communities in that space. Yeah, I can echo that. We're in learning process as well. Uh, Jonathan, uh, we're even younger than Twitter Faith, so Faith Connect launched earlier this year. But my co-founder and I really felt strongly that the purpose of this group should be to unite people who believe different things. And so we set our charter and the three pillars of Faith Connect as invite, learn, and respect, with the goal to increase the respect of a diverse array of beliefs through religious literacy. So if there's one thing that I've learned personally after moderate, moderating some of the panels that I've done earlier this year, which were was a Yom Kippur and Ramadan panel, is that, you know, even though our clothing or language or specific beliefs might be different, there's so much that we have in common. And this is really what attracted us to set up, up an interfaith ERG, you know, to help people realize how much good there is in the variety of beliefs and cultures out there and help foster this sense of commonality. I love hearing these the experiences from each of your respective companies about why having more than just affinity groups for individual faiths, but having an interfaith group was needed. I am an MBA student at Wharton, and last year, my first year, I wanted to create an interfaith club, and all clubs have to be approved by a student panel. And the first time we went up for approval, they didn't approve it because they said, we already have faith affinity groups, we don't need another club that talks about faith, you know, it, there's too much overlap. 
And that actually helped Angie and myself realize that there was a real need for education, that a lot of people don't realize why an interfaith group would be necessary, especially for people who maybe don't have a faith background. So I'd like to ask you all, were there any challenges that you have encountered either as you approach leadership about having an interfaith group or as you've established these ERGs or VRGs to sort of the questioning of, of people at the company needing to know why it existed or what other challenges did you face? Generally, when you talk about religion at work, it makes people a little bit nervous. You know, where could this go? So, so we did have questions like, how are you going to ensure this isn't going to become, you know, one religion over another or you're not going to be putting people down? We set out just initially to put together like a who we are, who we're not. This is going to be our guiding charter. And this is exactly, you know, what we're going to stick to. And if anybody violates these policies in terms of like posts internally or anything, um, send them on over to HR, right? Like th this is who we are. And so very clear that we're not proselytizing. We're not here to put uh, values or beliefs down. We're here to drive the religious literacy, the belonging and inclusion for people, like just who we are, who we're not. Um, and that really helped. But I think there's still a struggle with people understanding, okay, why is this group here? Like still, you know, even though we've done some amazing things and uh, because religion is still very contentious, right? Like you see the news, you see all this stuff happening. And a lot of times, uh, like Marcy mentioned earlier, religion is at the center of these big, you know, political debates and the war is happening in the world. So to really build a case for, yeah, I totally see that too, but what are we doing to fix it? Are we still going to create these walls and us versus them? Or are we going to become a you and me type society? And being able to advocate for that. And I think people see the intention and see the, they come to our events and they, they're just like, oh, that's what that's about. So you just kind of keep chipping away at those doubts that people have. But thankfully, aside from just grumbles here and there and then just talking it out, uh, there hasn't been any huge obstacle. With things playing out in the world the way that they do, unfortunately, and Twitter being a platform where a lot of that conversation and sometimes, you know, hateful messages and just the spread of, of you know, kind of some of those communications happen. Um, and I'm not saying this super eloquently, but um, it affects our tweets, you know, very, very heavily, right? Um, whether it's, um, you know, Holocaust deniers on, on our platform and kind of the spread of that misinformation that obviously affects um, Jewish Twitter uh, tweets or when the Israel-Palestine, um, you know, um, conflict was was coming to a head a few months ago. Um, obviously, our, our tweets from those areas and of those backgrounds, um, you know, they were they were struggling with it and they turned to Twitter faith as a BRG to support them. I would say that that's probably our, our biggest challenge is just how close we are to the news of, a, of kind of these issues when they, they blow up, how it affects our, our tweets in, in real time. Yeah, and for us, you know, with Equinix, there was general support right off the bat, but a lot of concern. And at the time when I raised my hand to, to found Faith Connect, I did not know there was a single other faith-based ERG out there. And in one of my planning calls with our uh, diversity and inclusion leadership, uh, one of the women said, you know, I think Salesforce has one of these. And so I reached out, um, you know, Salesforce being a large customer of ours, I reached out and that's when I was introduced to Farah. And you were so helpful. You know, you talk about the who we are, who we are not. Um, you shared that document with me and it, it helped so much for us to formulate how we communicated this internally 
so that's one thing I, uh, you know, for, for folks that are starting up new ERGs, um, you know, it's obviously easier if you have structure and framework for diversity and inclusion groups and ERGs, which Equinix does. It's a very well codified, vetted process with milestones and, and key uh, markers that have to be hit. But reaching out to folks that uh, have already done this uh, was something that was very, very helpful to me. And, and since then, I've been, I've had folks reach out to me who haven't had, uh, that had the chance to set up an ERG yet. And I've been able to pay it forward in the way that, uh, Farah and her co-founder helped me. So I think reaching out and getting information of what others are doing and how it is successful is very helpful. I also was able to get some information from Google and PayPal on how they were successful. And since these are all large customers of Equinix, when I was able to say, well, this is what our customers and partners are doing with their face-based CRGs, it made sense. And I was able to get buy-off internally for our charter to get approved. So that was one successful thing for us of, of overcoming the, the hurdle of the confusion of how is this going to look? Is it political? What are we going to do when we have issues? And, and that helped us get past that. Marcy, thank you so much for taking us from the challenges that Farah and Jonathan face to how you're able to overcome some of those challenges at Equinix. It's really cool to see that, you know, people in the workplace are reaching out to each other for help to get these interfaith ERGs started. With this in mind, what advice would the three of you have for others who want to form interfaith ERGs or communities at their workplaces? I think Marcy, you just gave us an excellent step number one, reach out to other people doing the work, see what you can learn from them. Jonathan and Farah, do you have any other steps that you would add? Or Marcy, also feel free to say anything else that worked out well for you. I would say just defining kind of having a very clear mission statement and kind of, I don't want to call them beliefs that you, you follow, but, you know, making sure that you're very clear on what the purpose of your faith-based CRG is, right? And I, I think we, our companies have taken the stance of inclusion and, you know, kind of faith diversity and just, um, again, coming from the place of empathy and learning and all those, all those fun buzzwords. So I think it helps you when you are faced with a real situation or conflict or problem that, that you need to address. I think it helps you have a good, great grounding in, you know, what, what your BRG is, is there to do for your employees. And I'll just say, I mean, if you're working at a company and they have great DNI program, diversity inclusion program, they have messaging around bring your authentic self to work, which so many do. They value inclusion and belonging. All you really need to do is frame this in a way that matters to you too. And you are a person of faith and you need to be included in that conversation, right? Frame it in the way of not religion at work, but religious inclusion at work and inclusion of our different identities at work and celebration of our identities at work and valuing and seeing and hearing our employees of different faith backgrounds. These are the words that really resonate with HR, with diversity inclusion folks who really create these spaces, right? These ERGs to exist. And why do they create them? So the employees at the workspace feel seen, valued, and heard. And now if your Muslim colleagues and Jewish colleagues and Sikh colleagues don't feel seen, valued, and heard because they're not even allowed to talk about who they are and their needs, that's a problem. And that means that you're not really living to what you say you do in this space. So I would just go for that, right? Just go for the jugular say, hey, you care about this stuff, so care about me too, please. And then there's the strategies, right? Like creating the who we are, who we're not 
being very open and inclusive in your space, but also driving for change that really impacts the community you're serving. So just being clear with the goals, what are you driving towards and tying it to what your company is doing? I, I would just add, you know, Twitter is going through this whole thing of allowing our employees to really identify who they are and like literally, you know, there's a whole system where we're going to be inputting all these identifiers of who John Felter, the Twitter employee is. And I think to Farah's point, faith and your religion and that whether it's cultural or, you know, the actual practice of, of your religion is such a big part of who you are. So I think that's to your point, Farah, how you sell it in. Just look at me. Just see me. I'm just yeah, asking exactly. to be seen. Right? Yeah, the one thing I would add to that, too, is the, the point of religious literacy and learning. That was also something that really resonated when we with our diversity and inclusion team when we were uh, seeking approval for Faith Connect, is that we want to give the opportunity for people to learn. And if there's learning, we can have greater respect. And that really uh, resonated and was one of the things that helped get our charter approved. I also want to ask, what are one or two stories from each of you of what you've been able to do or accomplish through these interfaith ERGs, thinking of listeners who can go to their boss, their CEO, um, HR, and say, hey, I want to do this. These people did this. Look what came out of it. What are some of those stories? I'll jump in. The, the one that comes to mind for for me is during Ramadan, uh, one of our Muslim chiefs, he led a thing called Fast for a Day. So it was, you know, the, the old passage of, you know, walk a day in the shoes of somebody to experience what they're going through. And literally we got, you know, hundreds of other tweets from all different religions to go through the experience of, of fasting for a day. Obviously people who follow the Muslim faith do it for a full month and how that affects your work and how you bring yourself to work during that time frame. Um, I think it was just such an eye-opening experience where, you know, we then hosted an internal kind of conversation about it and just an open discussion of what people experienced and it was just such a beautiful thing to see people from all different, all shapes and sizes and backgrounds kind of experience that. And I think to me, that's in practice what we're, what we're hoping to do, right? And just get people to experience what other people are doing. Cause I think when you do that and you physically do something, you are that much more empathetic and inclusive and you pay attention more to, to what maybe somebody else is going through. To that point, Jonathan, regarding Ramadan, since we launched earlier this year, we've had several events and Two of which uh, was there. One was a women in tech Ramadan panel with panelists from Google, PayPal, Salesforce, and Apple. And then most recently, uh, we had one for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur with Twitter, Salesforce, American Airlines, and Google. And I had the privilege of moderating both of these panels, and I loved hearing the personal stories, the family memories, and the touching moments from each person. Each panel provided a background 101 information as well as a segment on allyship. And the feedback we received from the attendees was so very positive. And uh, one of the top points was attendees just loving to know how to understand their coworkers, support them during these holidays, and be a better ally. And this was a really powerful start to Faith Connect this year. And we look forward to doing more events next year. I'll just add to that. So holidays definitely is one just simple thing, a simple one that people have done, right? How many years have I celebrated just in silence at work because nobody else was observing a holiday and I would just bring in munchkins or donuts and people would be like, why? And I'm like, well, it's actually a big holiday. But what the heck am I doing at work on a big holiday, right? Like that, that was a problem. 
So now to be able to at work have these giant celebrations where your holidays actually acknowledged is a special thing for those people who've had to celebrate just alone for so long or like your team's wishing you greetings and stuff. It's really exciting to see. But beyond that, I think one thing that I'm super proud of that Faith Force has helped drive is number one at Dreamforce, which is our biggest conference. Back in 2019, when it was giant and huge, we had our very first multi-faith prayer space. So you have 100,000 people coming. Don't you think there's going to be people who need to pray, you know, and not struggle to find a space? So for the very first time at Connections in Chicago, which is a big event, and then at Dreamforce, we had a beautiful multi-faith prayer space. And I would walk in multiple times just to see, is anybody even using it? And at one point, you know, I saw somebody meditating on one of the cushions. And then I come in and somebody's praying the Muslim prayer. And then I come in and then there's Jewish men in the front doing their prayer. Uh, and then, you know, coming in and then I see the Jewish people in the front and the Muslim people in the back. And it was like just a space people are actually using at a conference. And people oh. were just so excited that it's even there, right? And then beyond that, just the whole inclusive events strategy where there's kosher and halal food options that people can select at registration. And we were able to influence that. Now, there's still work to do. There's still events being scheduled on holidays that we got to figure out how not to do anymore. But it was a huge win to see that for the very first time. Giant signs that said, multi-faith prayer, take a selfie. Like, you know, you know, I did that or my team did that. And it meant so much. And then finally, just the support that we never had before. I remember before Faith Force existed, there was like the whole Muslim travel ban, right? Call it what you want, but that's uh, it impacted the Muslim community a lot. We were hurting. No one was talking about it. And, you know, I would just come into the workspace and just go in a room and cry for a little bit, come back out because of stuff that's going on. And no one was talking about it and it hurt, right? And to know that, you know, we've been able to address that hurt now louder when the Tree of Life synagogue shooting happened, to be able to come together and support our Jewish community. When the Christchurch attack happened, to be able to support our community, even now, right, with the Israel-Palestine stuff, it's been tricky. It's been hard. But what have our Jewish colleagues wanted? They've just wanted a space to be able to talk about the anti-Semitism and the hurt that they feel. And and being able to, you know, eventually provide that space in a way that they're able to talk about their feelings and feel heard. And our Muslim colleagues talk about Islamophobia and how it's impacting them. And our Sikh colleagues to talk about the hate against their community that they're experiencing and share their stories finally in a place where people can hear and learn and grow from. So, you know, I've had for the first time people reach out or I've had people reach out saying this for the first time. I feel so seen. I've never felt this way before at work. And that has meant the world. Like, this is why we do this so that you finally have that space to be a part of this beautiful equality narrative here. So that's what I'm most proud of. I just want to add to that, Farah, that the the beautiful uh point about the result of the events and and after our Ramadan event I had an outpouring of from our Muslim co-workers saying how they've never before that event had so many co-workers reach out to them say happy Eid check in on them and that same thing is just so personally rewarding for me um, so I really echo what you said there well Brianna and I just want to say thank you very much to the three of you for sharing your stories your journeys with us. We again can't say how excited we are just to see that this work is happening in the workplace as business students and, you know, future colleagues and employees. It's just really great to know the next steps that we can take to be more inclusive and welcoming in the workplace. So thank you all for being here with us today. Thanks for listening to the Interfaith Business Network podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe and follow at Interfaith Biz on Twitter. That's Interfaith B-I-Z. You can also join the Interfaith Business Network on LinkedIn and Slack. 
Thank you to Interfaith Youth Corps for funding this podcast, to Jefferson Dayhouse for mixing, editing, and producing this episode, to Joshua Wolk for his graphic design, and to our friends at the Religious Freedom and Business Foundation and AI and Faith for their partnership and support. Learn more at interfaithbusinessnetwork.com.